Welcome back to another episode of the SEM podcast. We got a special one today. We're here with Zach Hewlett, round two. So, you know, at the beginning we recorded ours and uh, we we didn't know what we were doing at all. We still don't, but we've got a little better idea of, of what to talk about. Definitely been some memories shaken loose and uh, some some archives open. So, yeah, we're going to turn it back over to Zach. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. So timeline wise, I, I was trying to find the date, but I didn't find it before we started recording. It was about this time that I recorded my podcast a year ago. Yeah, that's true. Which is pretty crazy. So by the way, happy Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. <clears throat> For those that are listening, this is when we're recording. Um, no, I. the one thing that I wanted to f- like go back and refute was how I got my mission call. So I told you that my mom stole it out of the the mail. Yeah. I forgot though, that it was, um, it was the same week as her birthday. And so what my mom had done as opposed to, she, she told me this after she listened to my story. She's like, don't you remember this? And I was like, no, it was an angry point in my life. (laughs) But, uh, so what she had done is she actually took my mission call and she wrapped it in a gift and then took it to her parents' house. So my grandparents, and they came over as if we were having some sort of a birthday dinner and, and they brought your mom and they brought the gift. And I was like, Oh, it's just a birthday gift for my mom, you know? So I didn't give two thoughts about it. And everybody had gathered after dinner and, uh, my mom was like, hey, come in here. And I said, why? And it's a birthday present for you. Carry on. I don't I don't need to see what you get. You show me later. She said, hey, no, dude. no, come in here. And I said, no, I'm not in the mood. Because I was just so frustrated that, again, I had to wait an entire week for my mission call to come. And she finally said, get your butt in here. This is for you. And I went, what are you talking about? And then she like kind of did the the eye eyebrows raise like uh, you know what it is and I was I, and I I honestly was so embarrassed but I was also still pretty Livid. frustrated. So anyway, she reminded me of it. She gave me the gift. I opened it, and that was why my grandparents came over that night. It wasn't for my mom's birthday week. It was to hear where I was going on my mission, mission call. But well, um, we got the truth now. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty crazy that's pretty good though yeah but uh yeah i mean just going back through memories and things i for the for whatever reason i have not found the first half of my mission journal yet so it's on my to do maybe three yeah part three will be the memories from my journal from the first uh first half of my mission i'll make it an annual thing we'll kick off year three with (laughs) Episode three of Zach. <laughs> I love it. So, but yeah, I mean, going back to the MTC, um, so many memories. I mean, when Ashley Devine came on and talked about how he hurt his ankle, I had completely forgotten about the fact that I was literally helping a hobble around the MTC because he couldn't get up and down the stairs. Was there an elevator in the MTC? I don't remember. There, there must have been, but maybe... I mean, it could have been on the sister side too. So, yeah, I guess that's true. But 
I'm, I'm trying to recollect if he used um, crutches to get up and down the stairs or what have you, but like that was, that was a nice memory. I'm glad that I made a good impression <laughs> on Elder Divine at that point in time, despite some of our moments of, of craziness. But like, I remember, I remember um, missionaries having like across the hall fights, throwing things like opening doors and throwing things across the hall at each other, like having a war. And I wasn't in that room. I was like the next room over. So you had to walk through the crossfire. And it was like, uh, it was, I think it was uh, Streeter and Loganberg and um, Devin Fisher, Pilkington, and, you know, a couple of other missionaries from, uh, that were going to other missions. But the MTC was fun. Um, I can attest that I did sign the back of a clock, like uh, what has been mentioned. And the funny thing was, is we discovered the clocks in our room and we pulled them off and it was just littered in signatures. And I was like, wow, this is pretty, pretty amazing. And so we started looking for clocks that had nothing on it and it was hard to come by. So one night before we went to bed, uh, me and uh, I think other divine and other companionship snuck down to the lower level of the MTC because our MTC group was small. I mean, there was eight of us going to Scotland. I think there was five or six, um, international missionaries, you know, coming over and going back to Germany yeah. or what have you. And then a uh, couple of other missionaries going to Leeds. So I think there was like 15 of us. It wasn't very big. And half of us were going to Scotland. And, uh, but we went downstairs to the lower level meeting rooms where none of us were having classes because we're, we're such a small group. And we found a clock in one of those classrooms that was untouched. Was so, yeah, I mean, I would be curious to know because we we ended up putting it back in that classroom. And uh, so maybe someone who's listening, uh, I'm going to say thanks to Christian Lucas. He sent me a walking tour of the MTC a few weeks ago. I'm going to have him go back and check the back of the clocks for me. If he can reach them. Short man joke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then going from uh, from the mtc up to the mission home i remember we rode a train but i don't remember much about it i was probably still very tired and a bit overwhelmed with like the reality of where i was and what i was doing and so um but i do remember getting off the train and again i i have no recollection of who the assistants to the president were at that moment in time because I didn't really give much thought about like mission leadership. It just wasn't something that was in my yeah. mind. Um, but I do remember um, going to the mission home the first time. And one of the first oh. missionaries that I met it was white and Nelson. Were white the assistants. And is it David Nelson? Is that who it was? I don't know his first name. But. Well, interesting. Yeah. I got the picture of the whole group here. That's what I'm referencing. Okay. But, but yeah, we, uh, I remember going into the mission home and the one missionary that I do remember from that first day was Kofi Asariado or Asariado. I don't know how to say yeah. it. But he was sitting in like the, you know, the room with the big hearth where they used to take like pictures with, with new missionaries, with the mission president and his wife and, and he was just like, man, I can't believe you're brand new. 
I go home tomorrow and we were just like, <laughs> yeah, he was, the, he was the outgoing assistant, I think. So, yeah, I mean that, that makes sense timeline wise. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a great deal of recollection of the tour of Edinburgh. I don't believe now, not I'm recollecting. And I think that Elder White was driving if, if it was the assistants that were driving, and I remember them pointing out some of the things like the disgrace of Scotland and things like that. But I don't remember anything with regards to like lies. Flat, li flat lies. You know, this is where the temple is going to be built. And, you know, this is and, you know, just, you know, the rubbish that they were coming up with. So I don't remember that. I was still quite in shock. Like, I can't believe that I am in Edinburgh driving around in a car on the wrong side of the road. It's freezing yeah. outside and it was, I think it was a really soggy day that day. So had you ever traveled international before your mission? No. Um, I mean, I you could call it like stateside international, but I did go to Hawaii as a teenager, but like that was yeah. still, still United States, you know, ground. Yep. But, uh, yeah. So that was my first time being out of the country and it was pretty eye opening, um, to be there. I do remember hiking up Pratt's Hill and uh, trying to get a feel for what that uh, experience looked like. Um, I really sat and pondered and I, I can kind of close my eyes and recollect pretty close to the spot where I knelt down and really just gave a heartfelt prayer of gratitude for being in the place where I was um, and being prepared or so I thought to be, um, yeah. in, in the, uh, in the UK and serving the Lord there. Um, and, uh, you know, more than anything, I just, it was one of those unique experiences that, um, I'm glad that it was, a uh, a, a tradition of the mission that, uh, we, we continue to do both before we started and at the end of the mission, which was great. Um, and I don't remember, helping Ashley divine up and down the hill. I don't, I don't remember that. I may have just been close by or in close proximity, but I do remember it was a slow and steady, uh, climb to get to the top. So, um, and then I don't recall, I think we had gotten there fairly early in the day because I don't recall sleeping overnight um, that day at the, at the mission home or in the bed and breakfast, the only experience I had at the bed and breakfast was before I went home. Um, so I'm pretty sure we went, okay. we went, uh, like got on a train early, got up to Edinburgh, did a drive around, but I could be wrong. I don't remember like that, that moment in my mission is pretty fuzzy still, but, uh, it was, either there, that there were no sisters in your group. No, it was just elders in our group. Yeah. All right, so, so you might have stayed in the mission home then one night. I don't, I don't remember, though. If if we did, it was a complete haste. Like, <laughs> I need someone from our group to come on and help help me remember. Like, Clarify, yeah. I mean, if, <clears throat> if Spencer Streeter or Devin Fisher can come on as the Americans from our group, I don't remember. And if they have a better memory, that would be great to, to hear from. So... But, uh, yeah. And if it was that same day or the next day, I remember meeting you and, uh, I don't remember doing anything with regards to going out and chapping doors or street contacting, um, while we were in Edinburgh, it was all pretty bang, bang and quick. Yeah. Um, 
but uh you know in trying to remember back that moment in the you know above the garage in the mission home in that big meeting room i remember you walked in the door and i was like wow he's he's pretty tall because <laughs> you were definitely you stood out amongst yeah all those that were there i mean uh you know we had some great was, missionaries that trained our group so i was looking at that picture of us right the like first picture and i'm like how many missionaries could walk up to zach hewlett and put their arm over his shoulder yeah you know? i mean and that's just it like maybe president vereen's thought he needs someone to make sure he understands that the authority lies with the the man that's bigger than him as a, as his trainer. So, but, uh, you know, my recollection from there is we got a ride in the van and we hopped on the train and went straight up to Aberdeen. It was like, I don't know how long the train ride was. It had to have been a few hours, right? Yeah. It was a bit of a trek. Yeah. And, uh, and I recollected, you know, I'll never forget when uh, we got at, got there at the train station. You were helping me with my suitcases, and and uh, this tiny little car pulls up, and Joseph Bautista jumps out with his arms open wide, and then this giant gets out of the passenger seat <laughs> in in Chris Peterson, and I was just like, how? First and foremost, how did he fit in that car? And then the thought was how are we all going to fit in that car with my two suitcases, which still modern Marvel. I don't know how that worked or how we made that happen, but all four of us were in that car with my suitcases, which <laughs> I wish we would have taken a picture. Like yeah. hindsight, there was a lot of moments. Where I had somebody just... outside the car, take a picture. And <laughs> <crammed in> <laughs> we had, had three guys that were six, five or taller. If I remember right, I think Joseph was driving at that point and uh honestly if it if it was feasible he had to have had like his driver's side chair all the way to the steering wheel so that must have been legs and and uh all the suitcases and everything behind it had to been there so but i uh you know we went over to their flat we hung out for a little bit and then you're like all right we gotta head up and it was hard for me at that point in time because it's late January and it had been dark for hours. And yet, you know, you look at your watch and I'm like, how in the heck is it is still like seven o'clock? Yeah. And you're like, all right, we got to get in the car. Let's go up to our area. And I was like, okay. So we got in the car and I think I stayed awake until the big roundabout as you get outside of Peterhead, like past the big Asda that was there. And, and then I fell asleep <laughs> and, and one of the first conversations you and I had was you said, all right, other Hewlett, I want to make sure that you're aware of this. First and foremost, we don't sleep when our companion is driving. That is something that that's a mission rule. It's in the white handbook. You got to stay alert. And I was like, okay, sorry about that. And that was the first of my sorries, <laughs> which we have recollected, yeah. but, uh, you know, that was, uh, it was just an experience. Like we literally drove into the dark abyss. I knew nothing about what was around us. I could not tell that there was a seaside to our left as we're driving north. We drive around this giant bay and I'm like, okay, there's some water there. 
smells like fish and and a little bit of death as we pull into Peterhead. And then we lugged my suitcases up not one set of stairs, but two sets of stairs because we had the outside staircase yeah. and then the inside staircase to our top of the world flat. I mean, which wasn't bad. Like we had a pretty good setup with the with the yeah. space that was in there. It was pretty good. For an attic apartment, it wasn't it wasn't bad at all. Yeah, I mean uh I mean the bathroom was a little bit small and cramped, especially for us tall human beings, but you know, we had plenty of room for beds and uh the wardrobe room and then I remember one of my pictures that I, I remember taking is we I went into the kitchen, I think one of my our first days and you were like, We gotta go get some groceries and figure that stuff out. And I opened up one of the cabinets and there were potatoes that had sprouted and they had to have been like at least at least like 10 inches of sprout that that were coming out and uh and i was just like man because you because i think i replaced elder reed i was like are these other reeds and you're like i don't know they could have been there for six months i don't know (laughs) but uh yeah and then it, it wasn't far after i mean looking back in my in my planners like the next day you're like all right time to learn to drive because my year mark's coming up and you literally threw me the keys and i was like okay yeah you went you went in the mtc on january 5th is that right yeah Uh yeah so three weeks there and then my my year mark was february 3rd so yeah like one weekend yeah you basically had a week to train me how to drive and if you didn't feel safe you had a week to figure out how to feel safe <laughs> and remember i remain very grateful you you knew how to drive stick <laughs> i was grateful that i knew how to drive stick because hearing some of the horror stories of the other missionaries who knew nothing I, about i it, had just taught elder reed oh really yeah so yeah i mean i i enjoyed driving stick and in our world today i i think i would still enjoy driving a stick if it weren't for the blasted phone that, you know, keeps my attention sometimes when I'm driving, I, that's a confession. I'm sorry. I got to get better at that. Um, but yeah, we, we drove, um, pretty much we didn't do the crazy route like Chris Martin did where he drove around the entire area. You were a little bit smarter and said, here's a map. <laughs> Our area goes up this way to Fraserburra all the way over to Banff, all the way down to, is, is it Dufftown? Is Dufftown in our area? Or is it somewhere? I'm thinking something else. Um, but, and then I'm just, I'm looking at this thing. I'm going, man, that's such a huge area. And this is one word. Yeah. I mean, and, and then, uh, you know, going into Mintlaw, Mintlaw wasn't a big place, but, you know, it was kind of the central location for everybody to kind of congregate. So it made sense. But, uh, I think, I think back, um, you know, I mentioned this to you in private in recent weeks, how, uh, we hit a few pheasants that, uh, were flying across the road <laughs> and, uh, you, you would see them just kind of scurrying on the side. And as you got closer, they'd take off and it was like already too late. Yeah. But uh, we ended up just ram ramming. I guess we didn't ram them. They kind of like scooted off of our 
of our uh, our windscreen but your your reactions were just classic you're like you stupid birds <laughs> oh but uh no we we had a lot of fun the ward was great um I remember you talked about how integrated we were in the ward. I mean, I think the biggest part of that was singing in the ward choir. And we we got to become a little bit more integrated as a result because we spent an extra hour or so after church, you know, singing. And uh, every time I sing that song, and I'm, I'm, I can't remember what the, the hymn is, but every time it comes on, I go right back to the Mintlaw Academy. And... Uh, I'll have to think of what the what the hymn was that that we sang, but and I remember because um, I sang tenor and there was a sister in the ward that had a little bit more of a baritone va- ba- uh, voice that sang tenor with me, and uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but you know Jim Peden was great. Uh, we had a lot of fun with him. He always was just a pure character. And, uh, and then John, who we mentioned, our ward mission leader, I'm trying to remember what his last name was. Do you remember that? I don't offend. Um, but you know, like he was always just up for anything. Um, we had a lot of fun visiting, uh, Fraser Dawson and his family. And if you remember, you had, um, his mom and, uh, his stepdad, they had recently gotten married. Um, and I want to say his as a Graham Gall, I believe was his stepdad's name. Sounds right. But we, we used to uh, visit with them and, uh, you know, Fraser was still a teenager at that point in time, but he's, he's still kicking about and keeps in touch with me. So, cool. but, uh, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite memories with you was the way that you always planned out longer drives around a castle. <laughs> <laughs> and, when it came to those, you know, it didn't matter if it was a ruin. It didn't matter if it was just like a standing smokestack that was still in the middle of like a field or something. We always were like, all right, let's, let's go here. And then when we're done, we'll, we'll hit a, a hit a castle or two. And, uh, what was the name of the castle that, uh, that Tom Brownlow brought up and that group I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't was it ruins or the five? No, no, five. Yeah. That's the one. 5E. Yeah. Yeah. So the five castle, we, uh, I mean, we, we were the ones that got the attention of the caretaker there that ended up starting a conversation with missionaries who were there later, which yeah, we had no idea that was the case at that point in time, but that was a lot of fun. Um, we always stopped for anything that was just like pretty, pretty, um, old looking like i think we stopped at a couple of gated homes because they had like cannons on the side of the house or on the side of the like the entry points yeah, of the gate pictures of us pretending to fire the cannon right like <laughs> that, was, <laughs> yeah. that was pretty cool um you know there was a ton of other things that we did i mean playing basketball at the mintlaw academy was a lot of fun and uh we just had a good group of guys that we ended up finding and I mean you mentioned it in one of our conversations how the guy that ran the basketball team saw us out knocking doors in Mintlaw and nearly crashed his car that one day. So um I've been looking through pictures too. Do you remember 
how obsessed we were with cereal that we decided to make a cereal box uh yeah monument behind our one of our doors (laughs) there was like a there was like a sale or something like a dollar a box or no a pound a box I think there, there's there's our our cereal yep. box wall that <laughs> we created and had behind our door, and then you know unfortunately it had to go when they closed the flat. But no, we we had a lot of good times, um, and obviously we have to talk about Slane's Castle. You know, going out there on P days with the zone. I don't remember what we did as far as activity, other than just going and checking it out, but. Yeah, I think Scott McAndrews brought up taking pictures in the dungeon. You know, the, the that yeah, spir- we explored all over it. That spiral staircase that went down to like just a dead end, and we'd go down and turn our flash on <laughs> and, and take pictures in the dark. There was one picture that I saw of you recently that I think my mom sent me, where y- you were like this in the dark. <laughs> I'll have to send it to you, but man, we had a lot of fun. Um. Yeah, so we did that for three months and had a lot of fun, and then it was time to go. I'm trying to remember, where did you go after that? From there, I went down to Falkirk. Falkirk, okay. With with Divine. So I had three of you guys in a row. Oh, because you had Streeter. Then I had Divine, and then I had Streeter. Yep. Okay. Yeah, um, I ended up going to Dunfermline at that point in time. And I served with Dan Conway. And in my previous episode, we talked about his uh, his escape. And I don't know to this day, he didn't really quite clarify beyond just needing a break. <laughs> what was going on? Yeah. But uh, no, I loved serving with Dan. He was a lot of fun. He he always made um, made things more fun and exciting. Um. And I still can't believe that he brought up the fact that he would get get uh, haircuts wearing a carrier bag, which I, I can attest that that is a real thing. But he had he had this uh, tendency where he didn't like getting hair in his in his garments, whether it was like the collar of his garments or like in the bottoms with hair just like falling on. And uh, so he's like, I'll, I'll I've devised a plan where that won't happen anymore. So I don't have a picture of it and I'm glad I don't, but man, <laughs> a mental image. Oh man. Very mental. So, <laughs> but, uh, I brought it up in a couple of episodes in co- conversation with people who served in Dunfermline. You know, one of my favorite things that we did on a weekly basis there was going with Brian, who he was kind of a, I wouldn't say that he's like completely special needs, but he was a little bit off mentally and I don't really truly understand why. Uh, but we'd go to Cowden Beath and we'd go to the happy days club. And <laughs> I mean, Elder Conway never sang. He, he just, you know, passed out tea and cookies and, you know, we came out smelling like ashtrays cause apparently you could still smoke indoors in Scotland at that point in time. So, but, uh, the guy who ran the happy days club found out that I could sing. And he said, I got an American that can sing. And the first thing he asked me was, can you sing country music? <laughs> <laughs> and I I was like, I mean, sure. I, I 
I can sing a country song or two. And so it was kind of an excuse to listen to some of the classics, <laughs> you know, from yeah. you know, Alan Jackson and Garth Brooks and just the, these older people that are there for bingo and, and treats just lapping it up when the American gets up and has his drawl. And <laughs> I mean, I milked it for everything. There was, I was not about to disappoint anybody. And I, and I, awesome. used, I would get requested, you know, cause I was in that area for such a long time after that, every time I went, they're like seeing this one again. So, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun, but, uh, and then we mentioned it before as well. Um, but the coal race in Kelty, um, Brian bear actually mentioned to, to this, uh, mentioned this in our last podcast. We didn't, it wasn't 10 stone and wait, it was like a hundred or 110 pounds of coal that we carried on this. I want to say it was maybe a mile stretch of road, like the main street in Kelty, they just close it down. They put you on a flat bed truck with your bag of coal and they take you out to the start line and they just drop you off. And then they say, ready, set, go. And you've got people, I mean, um, the Hargreave family who we were involved with and who invited us to participate, um, from the ward, they, their son had won the race. Like I want to say six or seven years wow. in a row prior to that. And, uh, so obviously that was a big deal for their family, just something that they all did. And it wasn't just their, their oldest son. And I'm blanking on his name, but you had, uh, John who was the husband and he had to have been in his maybe mid sixties and he's running the race. Like it's nothing, just, just a machine. And then Thanks. the, their son, um, he called him Wee John, but he wasn't Wee. He was he was pretty tall, and uh, John ran the race as if it was nothing. He was just a really skinny but athletic kid, and uh, and then us missionaries. You had Chris Mace, Big Mace, and Brian Bear who came over, and uh, Oliver Kellogg, and I'm trying to remember who his companion was at that point in time. And then you had um, you had myself and. Elder Littlefield was there at that point in time. Conway had left by the time we did the coal race. And then, uh, and then Bredlow and Pilkington did it with us as well, which Bredlow has told us that he didn't, he didn't finish the race, but it's all good. Um, I was going through pictures too. I remember people mentioning the Moroni challenge. So apparently Elder Pilkington and oh, I yeah. did the Moroni challenge she in Dunfermline and, uh, I sent this picture to him the other day. I said, best friends always hold hands. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, there were so many great people in that ward. Um, you know, my favorites, we Sunday dinners over at Tony and Janice Rand's home. And that's how we got to know um, Paul and Wendy. Paul was our ward mission leader at the time. And, you know, going through pictures, it's just crazy how time has gone by because their kids are all grown up and, it, you know, life hasn't stopped in our almost 20 years we've been away from scotland it's pretty crazy uh the lynches are awesome um bishop lynch was was the bishop at the time and then they had their three sons um one of whom was uh severely i think i think he had some sort of palsy or something but he was wheelchair ridden he recently passed away um but 
just an amazing family, like salt of the earth people. And then uh, I spent a lot of time with Julie Bramwell and her sons, um, Tim and Dom Hudson, uh, playing basketball and enjoying, you know, one of my favorite games. I'll never forget um, as we started playing basketball on a weekly basis, we started to get the attention of the youth of of Dunfermline who were playing in the big gym. We played on the short gym because it was usually just three on three with Tim and Dom and then the two sets of missionaries. And uh, then there was one instance where we didn't have quite enough people to play. I think one of the sets of missionaries had another obligation. So we went and asked these kids if we could play basketball with them. And, you know, it's, it's Scotland level basketball. And everybody thought that I was like a Harlem yeah. Globetrotter of sorts. They thought Kobe had just walked in. I mean, my favorite moment of all time though is, so we started playing with these kids on a pretty regular basis. And there was one, t- one game in particular where we were out on the blacktop at this, at the school that was near the rec center. And, uh, one of the kids had the audacity to try and take a charge on me. So he just like stood, stood like I, 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 he's going to run me over <laughs> with his legs open. And I straight just bounced the ball between his legs and went past him. <laughs> and all of his friends like fell on the ground because they just couldn't believe that I had just dribbled it between his legs because he decided not to play defense. So, but we had a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was a good time. And, um, you know, some of our favorite memories were, and you taught me this too. We used to do the chimichangas on, on, uh, moves call night. And so I, I kept that tradition going and done firmly where we'd, we'd make chimichangas and pretty sure Conway had never had one before, which was pretty amazing. Like introducing some Mexican flavor yeah. to, to, to Conway. And then, uh, when Brent Littlefield came in, I mean, that was, that was one of our favorite nights. We just make chimichangas, eat way too much. And then, you know, no, know that we were either staying together or someone was moving. And, um, but yeah, we, we had a lot of fun in their flat that was over the mortuary and it was literally this giant hill between their flat and the high street in Dunfermline. And so we were, we were there often because some days we'd go up and we'd GQ on the high street and then we'd come down and just mess about and hang out with each other for a little bit before we got back to our regular schedule. But, uh, you know, every, we did everything in that flat from, you know, uh, we would do facials on move nights where we'd get like the facial creams, (laughs) crazy stuff. Um, and we did play soccer in like the spare bedroom because the spare bedroom couldn't have been more than like 15 by 15. It was like the tiniest little room. But compared to the other rooms, like the other rooms were just humongous. I mean, we're talking like cathedral style rooms. They were huge. And then the bathroom was this itty bitty tiny thing, but it was a pretty big room compared to compared to some toilets that I'd been in, um, in the mission. So, um, and we had a lot of fun, um, with the district. I mean, we had Russ Bass, who was our district leader for the majority of the time there. I mentioned it in his podcast and when we talked to Charles Noble about playing hacky sack after, after district meetings and uh, 4th of July barbecues and all that fun. So um, yeah. And to give a little bit of a spiritual um, theme to this, 
this part of my mission too. So the Hargreaves actually had a daughter who was um, almost 12, 13 years old at the time. Um, she was their youngest daughter. Her name is Megan. And when I came into the area, um, I got the opportunity to teach her. And I think we started somewhere um, in like the, the third lesson. But instead of teaching the lesson is in its entirety, the way that she preferred to be taught was to be taught portions of the lesson at a time. So we take an hour and focus on scriptures, scriptures about certain pieces. So yeah, we'd start with faith and we'd go through all that. Then we'd come back the next week and talk about um, repentance and how that was an important, that was kind of the method that she went through it. And then, as she continued to come to church and interact with those at the church and ask more questions, um, she eventually got baptized. And the cool part too, is that um, her dad at the time was not as active. He, he was kind of a casual goer to church, but I feel that we had such a great rapport and a great relationship with him that we used to meet with them on a Saturday evening and we'd always say, are we going to see you tomorrow at church? And he always was, used to say, ah, no, you're not going to see me at church. And I, we just kept inviting him, you know. And eventually, after a period of time, he started showing up. And it was amazing that, you know, he was there and involved and asking questions. And it was just good to have him there. Yeah. And then when his daughter decided to to be baptized we went to the bishop uh, bishop lynch and said it only makes sense to have her dad baptize her and so he went in and had a baptismal in, uh, interview of sorts um, in order to make yeah. sure that he was ready to go and um, he baptized her which was awesome and you know the cool part about it is their whole family came to the baptism you know including um the older brothers, and then they had a, a couple other sisters, Anne Marie and uh, Kelly, and Anne Marie and and Megan, and their mom Liz were kind of the stalwarts who were at church on a regular basis, and then the rest were kind of in and out. But Kelly started coming on a more regular basis, which was good, and you know we just kept the spirit and the gospel in their home, and uh, they're my they're easily my favorite people from that area, like. If I went anywhere when I'm in Dunfermline, I'm driving straight to Kelty and re and going and knocking on their door. So, but uh, yeah, all the good things come to an end. And, uh, you know, enjoyed four and a half months with Brent Littlefield and uh, did a lot of fun things. Um, you know, Brent and I were similar personalities and similar frame. So obviously knocking doors together was an interesting challenge because we filled most doorways and uh but man he is just a, a powerful powerful testifier of of the savior and he helped me realize that there was a simplicity to how you do that you don't have to be overly um wordy in how you testify of the savior it's all about just the simplicity of what you believe and how it's come to bless you in your life and so um, I enjoyed my time with Brent and we had a lot of fun. He, he put up with my, my crap and, you know, cause honestly I was just a young whippersnapper still and thought that I knew more than I did. And, uh, so I'm grateful that he put up with me.
Um, yeah, so after that, uh, I went to the Johnston Ward. And, you know, it, through this podcast, it's been kind of crazy to think that the building I used to go to for church for that short six weeks isn't even a utilized building anymore. But uh, just amazing members there. Um, we had a lot of fun with the Hale family, Larry Hale and his wife, Lorna, um, and then their daughters. They were just a, a bundle of energy. And I mean, they're all older daughters. We're talking, um, you know, young women and YSA age group, but uh, they were just a lot of fun. And Larry was from Las Vegas. And so he had served a mission in Scotland and that's how he met his wife and then just made Scotland home. And so he'd always feed us really good American cheeseburgers and hot dogs and make sure that we had a little taste of home. And then, you know, we'd talk about things that uh, we did back home and he was great. Um, and then my other favorite people from the Johnston ward, um, were, uh, Moira Warren and, um, Allison Borland and Allison, um, from what I understand, I think, um, I don't know if she was divorced or widowed, but I don't think I ever saw the husband or ex-husband. Um, she had two little girls and uh, just spitfire little Glaswegian girls. Man, one of my favorite memories ever. After, after the mission, my parents came over and we went and visited Allison's house. And my mom was talking to one of the daughters <laughs> and she had this, little spider in her hands. And my mom says, so uh, what'd you name your spider? And the little girl so, says, Hattie. <laughs> and my mom said, Hattie? No, Hattie. Did you say Hattie? And I said, mom, it's Harry, but she's saying it quick. It's Hattie. <laughs> and she just could not get the, the speed of Harry off of this little girl's tongue. It was um, amazing. But uh, we had so much fun in that in their home. Um, we spent the Halloween time frame, and that was my first experience with Guy Fox Night in that area. I think I told you about the night where we walked around Linwood and watched people kicking fence yeah. posts out of their fences, and the bonfire that was higher than the two-story flats that were mm -hmm. across the street that was in the middle. And I was like, "How in the heck are the fire department going to get in there?" Who was your companion there again? Uh, yeah, my companion at the time was Ross Ballack and, uh, Ross and I had our challenges, but you know, he, he, he was a strong willed individual as am I. And we just, uh, uh, my biggest gripe that I had, this was my first area, mind you, that I didn't have a car and the Johnston flat had bikes in it. So I was like, this will be easier oh, yeah. to, to get around and ride bikes. And for some reason, unbeknownst to me, it was never expressed to me. Ross wanted to walk and he wanted to walk everywhere. Like we wouldn't take the bus. We'd always walk from area to area unless we were going to a really remote area. But if we could walk from our flat past the church through the, the high street in Johnston and then take, you know, a side track over to Linwood or whatever, that's what we would do. But, uh, yeah, um, he and I just, it was great having the flat in Johnston and we've talked about it, you know, the, the upstairs loft above 
like a garage that fixed cars. And I think there was like a, like a, a shop that was underneath, but we're just in the middle of really nowhere. It's like just a few little apartments above um, some commercial space. And it was a huge flat. Like you came up the stairs off the ground level and you could go straight to the kitchen and the kitchen was this big galley kitchen. You have a huge living room to the left. Then you go to the right, there's a bedroom that they had turned into, someone had turned into a music room. So they had like a keyboard in there and some wardrobes and that's where um, all of our clothes were. And then upstairs, there were two more bedrooms. I think, I mean, we mentioned it, the biggest of the two bedrooms upstairs was infested with hornets or wasps that were in, in the ceiling. And so the only time we'd go in that room was to see how many how many wasps were in the room so we could squash them and get out. And then we had like a, a towel that was tucked at the base of the door. So nothing was flying out to find us. And man, that was something else. But it never, never ceases to amaze me. The stories we hear on here of the like crap that we put up with yeah. apart, apartment wise, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, so much. That's just it. Like the, we've heard it from everyone's mouth. It was like, we don't have time to wait for nicer accommodations with landlords yeah. taking care of us. Let's just go to work. We're not here to hang out in the house or in the flat. So, you know, it was what it was. And, but, uh, no, I just, I enjoyed my six weeks there. Um, one of my, I, it was kind of quirky and weird, but they had a Halloween party for the ward. And I was like, come on, we got to dress up. And Elder Balak was like, no, I'm, I'm not interested in that. And I found, found out that one of the members had like a, a Scottish, very traditional Scottish Santa suit. And I was like, well, let's dress up as Santa for Halloween. So I, I kid you not, I wore a Santa outfit to the Halloween party and everybody was like, you need a picture of that. Elder Hewlett, uh, you do know it's not Christmas. And I was like, yes, I'm, I'm Halloween Santa, you know, and everybody was just so confused. I mean, again, it was hard for me to portray my personality at that point. Cause I'd only been there for a few weeks at that point, but you know, that was just, I just thought, Hey, this is going to be a little unique. So I know I have a picture of it somewhere. I'll have to see if I can dig it out. But uh, yeah. And one of my, my favorite interview moments from the mission with president Vrains happened during that six weeks. Um, I had expressed in my letters that I was having some, some headbutting with, with elder Balak and things were just going a little bit, uh, not how I anticipated is kind of what I was, was thinking. And, uh, president Vrains, as I said, you know, what, what can we, what can I do about this? What's, what's kind of your advice? And he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, you know, the one thing that you'll learn as a parent is that your kids are not all the same. Maybe he is teaching you how to interact with a child that may be different than you are. <laughs> and I was like, I I haven't even turned 20 years old yet. Are you, you're talking to me about my future life and kids? Like it was a little bit shocking, but you know, looking back in hindsight, he was right. You yeah. know? The wisdom that, of President Reigns. Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable just to to hear him say that. And I kind of walked away like in this cloud of thought 
just like I was trying to like get some glimpse of what my future life looked like. And, but man, it was, it was really powerful. And, you know, the, then the one thing that, uh, that others have said, and I completely agree. I was in a couple of teaching opportunities with, with Ross Ballack. He was an amazing teacher. He had a great testimony. He was always very, very on point with what he taught. Um, I could listen to him talk all day. He had just the most beautiful English English accent and it was just so clean and pure. And as the words rolled out of his mouth, I was just like, like I can remember in specific one instance where we were in this house, we had just knocked on a door and someone had let us in, but they didn't turn on a single light. And there was like maybe a candle or two in the corner, but he testified of the restoration and of Joseph Smith and, he shared the most amazing, amazing testimony. And so I appreciated him. Um, obviously our time was short together, but, uh, it was, it was great. Um, so after that, I had the privilege of serving with one trunky George Willis (laughs) and, uh, it was kind of a shock. I never ever anticipated that I'd get an opportunity to serve in the aisles. Uh, but I was shipped up to Orkney and, uh, you know, so it was a little bit strange to pack. And I mean, I recollecting, I, I took a train from Glasgow over to Edinburgh and then all the way up to Aberdeen. So it was a pretty long travel day. And I mentioned this to some of those that served in, in Orkney that, uh, the first time I went there, we took a plane, like we flew from Aberdeen the Kirkwall. And I was like, okay, I can get used to this. This is not, this is not bad. This is pretty cool. Like getting a bird's eye view of Aberdeenshire and, you know, flying over the North sea. And it was just, it was pretty darn cool, but we get up there and, you know, again, it's now, um, I think it was headed into winter again, early November. (laughs) And my mom, I'll never forget this. She says to me, she goes, you're where? And I said, I'm in Kirkwall in on the Isle of Orkney. And she looked it up and she said that the, the longitude that we were at, no, the latitude, latitude, yeah, the latitude that we were at is the same latitude as Juneau, Alaska. And I was like, well, okay, that explains a lot as to why the sun comes up at 10 30 and goes down at two 30. Like there was very little daylight that we had to enjoy while we were there. But, uh, you know, George and I had a lot of fun again. He, it was his last transfer of his mission. And I think I mentioned this on a, on my previous podcast, but his favorite thing to do was to open his scriptures and do push-ups in our, in our little flat that we had. And, uh, it was at this point in my mission that I learned that I snored and I, cause typically I'm a pretty quiet sleeper. At least I thought. And, um, in this flat, again, we had really tiny rooms and the bed situation was we were in a bunk bed. Now, if, if you can imagine Jack, a, a typical twin bed is about, I don't know, four feet wide by maybe six, six feet and some change. Yeah. And 
six sleep, four, like just too I short sleep, for me. I sleep with my arms above my head and my feet are always off the edge of the, the mattress. And he's like, I told him, I said, I can't sleep on the top bunk. He's like, well, tough beans. You're on the top bunk. And I tried it for a few nights and I just could not do it. So I told him, I said, you know what? This is, this is what it has to be. So I pulled the mattress off and put it down on the floor immediately adjacent to his bed. And there was one night in particular where he straight up just took his pillow and just slammed me. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, dude, you are I'm like, snoring. you are rattling the hinges on the doors. You are snoring so loud. And I said, whatever, I don't snore. And I'm pretty sure I fell back asleep. And he hit me again. And I was like, all right, what, what can I do about this? And I just told him, I said, sorry, if I had the bottom bunk, you wouldn't hear me. <laughs> but uh, no, we had a lot of fun. We talked about doing service on the pig farm and uh, that was worth it. We got we got fresh eggs that we took home and had for on a weekly basis. And I'll never forget the smell of, of pig crap that was everywhere. I mean, literally strapping on, um, uh, like welly boots that go up to your chest and, the and then putting, yeah, the waiter boots, putting on a, a waterproof coat and then power washing all the crap off of it. And then we had like, it was almost like a squeegee because we'd push everything to this like main um, main strip just outside of each of the pens, and they w we would push it all the way down until you got to I don't even know what it's called, but it's just like this giant pool of pig yeah. crap. And I remember at one point the digester. I had a moment. Is that what it's called? I think so. So. I had a moment where I was standing just on the edge of this thinking to myself, wow, what, how horrible would it be to fall into this thing? And then I immediately thought I better turn around. Cause if Willis pushes me, I will absolutely murder him. And he was like on the way, <laughs> <So> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like going into grain silos and moving the grain so that it could be vacuumed up to where it needed to, to be like, I'm sitting here in this moment going, I'm a city kid. This is something that <laughs> I have never dreamed would be part of my, my experience at all. Um, that, but, I think uh, that happened for quite a few of you guys. Like Egan talked about like, what am I supposed to do? This is Yeah. I mean, it was just such a unique experience. Like you are on a remote island in the northern part of Scotland. I mean, what else are you going to do? You yeah. know, but uh you know, we had some really, really cool experiences there. I, I think I mentioned at one point, there's a, a brother there that was pretty heavily involved in the Church of Scotland. And prior to me getting there, they had introduced him to a talk from the most recent general conference from Elder Uchtdorf. And, you know, he it was one of his like specialties sharing, um, you know, airplane metaphors. And it was just yeah. a really powerful talk. And I remember this guy, we went over to his house a few times and he's like, how can you watch this and not know that that is a representative of Jesus Christ? And we, of course we agreed with him and we're like, okay, well, we'd like to invite you to come to our church and we'd also like you to be baptized. And he immediately just said, if I did something like that, 
you have no idea how how much that would affect my life and so he just said i will keep this tape and i appreciate what you're doing but i just can't make that decision at this moment in time and it was such a a powerful moment because the spirit was there it was in abundance and to have him say what he said you know he just kind of yeah you know let let his life and those that are around him affect the choice that he made and you know like i said in many other episodes we uh definitely saw a lot of those as we touch people's hearts with the spirit and shared things with them that they knew were true and more than anything they just kind of had to say yes but you know that happened yeah. a lot yeah. but uh one of my one of my favorite experiences um in in orkney is one of the weekends um they had gale force winds that were predicted and we talked with uh the zone leaders and told them about this happening and they said okay you know stock up on some food and and just kind of hunker down for the days that it's supposed to be super windy and you know almost hurricane type wind what did george willis do he said heck no we're going out to like the the thinnest point of the isle of orkney and we're parking in the parking lot and we took pictures of each other being blown by the wind <laughs> i mean that's my sleeping bag jacket that i mean that thing is blowing off of me and uh i have some other ones of willis that were a lot of it was just thought you were gonna say took you out chapin because he wanted his wife to be as hot as possible no george was george was uh, he'd, he'd done enough of that he was kind of just like no uh we're, we're good we're <laughs> going for just, the photo op let's go for the photo op that's exactly what it was and uh so yeah we just enjoyed running around here's here's my photos i took of george he got airborne and flew about five feet <laughs> <laughs> I, I always made fun of the fact that he was always a little bit self-conscious about his hairline. And I said, George, your hair's gone in this picture, but he's literally leaning on the wind in this picture. It's unbelievable how strong. And I think they wow. reported it at like somewhere between 140 and uh, 160 mile an hour winds. Here's a picture of us slopping uh, pig pig dung at the, at the pig. I don't know how he took this picture. Now that I think about it, I must've put on a timer, but, uh, that's us enjoying our service, which is a lot of fun. Nice. Um, and I mentioned in my last podcast, the, the journey of going over to Maggie's house. Maggie was a recent convert when we were there and, um, got to know her. She was a, a media referral to some of the missionaries prior to me getting there. And she had joined the church. She wasn't um, all that well-to-do. And we we heard the story about how there was a piglet that was saved. Would love to know where that piglet is now. It's probably been eaten. But, you know, in that moment in time, Willis said, we used to have a pet pig. And I said, excuse me, what? You know, and he's like, yeah, we just feed it cat food. And it lived in in the bathroom when we were gone and I was like, that sounds like a bad idea. He's like, it's okay. We don't have it anymore. We gave it to this, this new member. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I saw the pig in, in real life. And, uh, man, that was something else. 
but uh and i mentioned this in my last podcast but uh you know george willis introduced me to the spiritual side of country music as we listened to music driving up and down the road he said i feel the spirit listening to this elder hewlett don't you and i said sure whatever (laughs) but uh no we had a good time um and then we found out basically three weeks in to that that transfer that president Vreens had decided to close the area and so basically we had like a week while they were sorting out where people were going and what was going to happen where we just kind of did a whole lot of nothing uh, to be honest like and uh i was recollecting with uh, elder bear in a recent podcast that uh so i i got i found out that i was going to the glasgow zone leader area for that remaining part of the transfer to be with brian bear and uh because Blake Farnsworth, who is his previous companion, had been called into the mission home to be the, the be the new assistant. And uh, I had forgotten this until recently. I pulled up my journal and talking to Brian, and I hadn't shaved for a week and a half when I came off of Orkney. So I, I literally came off the boat and had a beard. It's very similar to what I have right now. And, you know, I was just like, okay, nobody's going to see me. Nobody's going to care. <laughs> And I was, uh, it was pretty impressive beard, at least in my standards, you know, as a kid for a missionary. Yeah. For a missionary. Yeah. yeah. And in hindsight, it was probably pretty dumb because I had to travel by myself to Glasgow. I didn't have the ability to get my shaver out and shave my face before I got off the boat, you know? Oh, and we talked about how the ferry ride was a roller coaster. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah. So, so, so it was a plane ride up there and a ferry ride back. Is that the, you were on the island the whole four weeks? Uh huh. Yeah, we didn't come off for for any anything. Now I think about yeah. it, that's kind of strange. But maybe we missed zone conference and all that stuff. I I don't even remember. But uh, and we had to take the boat back because we had emptied our flat and it was all in our car. So again, I still don't know how we had one of those tiny teal Corsas that was full with all of our luggage, every book of Mormon, every pass along card, everything that wasn't, was of some semblance of uh, necessity that was in that car with the two of us as we drove it off of the ferry. So that was pretty, a pretty crazy experience. I will never ride a ferry overnight ever again, unless I'm in a cabin, which that's what, uh, apparently that's the way you're supposed to do it. Yeah. And why I wasn't given that opportunity. I don't know. Whoever made that assignment of our, our tickets, uh, they're going to get talking to for that. Um, but yeah, going, going to Glasgow was a little bit of a culture shock because I went from a town of 25,000 people to a city of two and a half million <laughs> in, a, in like overnight. And I could not believe yeah. how intense the city of Glasgow was. Um, but Brian and I, you know, we were, we were constantly, um, occupied. We had things going on. We had teaches, we had, um, new member lessons. We had meetings with bishops and we actually, at the time, the zone leader area was covering a portion of the Julian Avenue ward and also the Springboig branch. And so we were bouncing back and forth to different activities and doing different things. And this was all, um, in the month of December. So, we were trying to do 
a good deed. And uh, Brian brought this up in our recent conversation. We decided to make cookies to go out and deliver to to people. And the only cookie recipe that I had been given, I think I actually asked my mom for it to like email it to me, was her American cookie recipe. And I gave no thought to the difference between metric and American measurements. And so I'm pretty sure that there was two or three times the amount of flour in these cookies to the point where we baked that we baked them and they came out like little bricks of bread. And Brian and I both looked at each other and went, these are not edible. We can't give these to people. We didn't even cook them all. So we have like, really really dense cookie dough that we're not even going to eat because there's just too much flour in it and i so we said what are we going to do and the the zone leader flat at the time just outside had a little stream that ran behind us so we went outside at about 10 o'clock at night with this batch of cookie dough and we skipped the cookies down the stream like rocks I have I have pictures to prove it. I mean, it was it was one of those moments where it was like um, we, we really did. We were like, "What are we supposed to do with this stuff?" And so we we literally went outside and we we grabbed the stream. I mean, this is this is an action shot of Zach throwing a cookie down the stream. <laughs> this is Brian and I with our batch of of cookies, and we're just we're prepped and ready. I mean, that's just, hilarious. I mean, that, that was one of our, one of our favorite memories. And then Brian also brought up Blake Farnsworth's clock. He left his clock in the, in the flat. And I told Brian, I said, I didn't like that clock. So what the clock was is it had, it was set to go off. I want to say at 6am and what it would do instead of having an alarm is it would play like a really nice, gentle soundtrack some cd that they must have found or just like um peaceful noises or whatever and brian swore by this this thing he's just like it's the best clock ever because then you know that you got 30 more minutes to just be in bed and i was like brian this is the worst thing ever you wake me up at six and i lay here unable to sleep for 30 minutes until the true alarm goes off but uh no, we, we just had a lot of fun. I, I was looking at uh, my my journal the other day. I went on an exchange to to Hamilton with Elder Rhodes, and I don't remember much of that day, but it was kind of unique to know that I was in Hamilton prior to serving in Hamilton later in my mission. So I got yeah. I'll never I'll never forget we uh, we started our exchange from the Julian Avenue ward. We basically just swapped companions at an activity and uh, we hopped in the car with Ryan Wark and he was one of the, the young men who was getting ready to go on a mission in the next few years and he had been at the activity and he took us um, on, a, on a drive down the motorway and that was the first time I got to meet him and I was just like, man, this guy, this guy is fired up about missionary work and he's just a good kid and, and he's a big sports guy so we got along well talking about his favorite football teams and doing all the fun things there. So, but uh, no, two weeks with Brian bear was an absolute blast. We had way too much fun. And uh, 
honestly, in my journal, I wrote, I really hope that President Vreens calls me the night before Moose call and says by some miracle that I've been promoted to his own leader from lowly Orkney missionary. And you're staying there. Yeah. I mean, I, I was really hopeful for it because I just had so much fun with Brian. We, we had a great time. So, but, uh, that wasn't to be. And, um, so I got the call to, to train and, and also whitewash into the Montrose ward, which, Man, that was that was a whole another bag of tricks that uh, I was not quite prepared for. Um, the missionary I trained was Dustin Marsh, and Dustin and I got along for the most part. But uh, at this point in my mission, I I don't know why I I think, and I I've been thinking about this a lot. I think at that point in time, I took the the job of being a trainer to the extreme as far as being super obedient to the point where I was stressing myself out. And I remember very vividly at one point, um, I went to a, a doctor's office cause I was having like chest pains and the doctor was like, well, let's, let's get you on like, uh, get you on a, a treadmill and we'll hook you up and see how you're breathing and all this different stuff. And I was like, okay. And I did that. And I have no, I don't even remember where Elder Marsh was. He must've been in the waiting room or something. I don't remember, but, uh, I did that and they're like, it looks like you just need to work out more and, and eat better and stop being so stressed out. And so, and again, I got all that information on my own and Elder Marsh didn't know that, nor did I give that information to him, which in hindsight was a little bit um, ridiculous. But I made the decision at that point in time, I was like, Hey, let's find a place and let's go play basketball, um, as a way of me getting a little bit more exercise and being able to de-stress a little bit. And so we started playing basketball with this under 17 professional team that was there in our growth. And they were, they were good, really good. Like I'm talking American level basketball. And I was like, okay, this is, this is up my alley. And I knew Dustin played basketball. Um, I'd actually played played a little bit against his older brother when we were back in Utah. Um, but so we went and played and we played a few times. And at one point, Elder Marsh was like, hey, I don't think we should go play basketball. Let's go chap some more doors. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And I was a little bit taken back by that because, you know, who wants to go knock doors when you have an opportunity to build relationships with these kids who enjoy you enjoy playing basketball with and and we did have some conversations with them about why we were there i mean we're both americans we both enjoy basketball and um one of my one of my claims to fame at that point in time is the coach asked me two after two days of playing with them if i'd like to join their team and i said that's very flattering that's not why i'm here and uh, i think i'm a little old for your for your basketball team at, as, tw- as a 20 year old. But, uh, we just had a lot of fun. Um, and, but I was just, I was overbearing to, to a fault as a, a trainer. Uh, I just didn't want to cause him to feel like I hadn't done everything that I could to teach him how to be a, a good missionary. And, uh, obviously I paid for it a little bit, but you know, one of the things that, I saw in my memories was, 
um, uniquely enough at that time in the mission, we had myself, Elder Fisher and Elder Loganberg that were all in the same group and we were approaching our year mark. And I found this picture <laughs> my mom sent me the other day and we all got together. We went out to a point um, on the coast in our broth and burned our year shirts. And then we all got schlur <laughs> and, <laughs> and had a schlur party. But uh, it's a pretty ra ragtag group of missionaries right there. You've got um, myself, Elder Marsh, Elder Loganberg. I think he was training as well. And I don't remember who his um, trainee was at that point. And then um, Devin Fisher and he trained Colin Kilgore. So um, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So, and then three months into Montrose, um, I got uh, Brandon King and we've had Brandon on the podcast and yeah. he, he and I, I've told him this in private and I'll share it on the podcast. One of the things that happened when I learned that I was getting Elder King is President Rain said to me on the phone, he said, he's, uh, he's been around some rowdy missionaries, Elder Hewlett. So if you can help, you know, get him back on track, that'd be really good. And it immediately set me, set me right back into that training mode that I was in where I was just over the top um, obedient and focused on trying to help him be obedient. Nonetheless, Brandon wanted to be Brandon and he just wanted to do his own thing. And he, he wasn't too worried about time schedules or he didn't really, he just kind of went with the flow and it definitely rubbed me wrong for the first probably three, three and a half weeks until one Thursday, we had a companionship inventory at the end of our, uh, the end of our our planning and i just let loose I, I and i honestly said to myself what the hell is wrong with you <laughs> and we just went back and forth and he said the same thing and from that moment on we realized that we were way more alike than we ever anticipated and uh we got along great um you know that was kind of a, a point in the mission where everything was starting to turn more towards the focus of how can we utilize preach my gospel a little bit better. And, uh, there was a big emphasis from the leadership talking about committing people to baptism earlier on in the process. So it's not like a surprise at the end. Um, and so at one point we had five people scheduled for baptism in our area and wow. looking back on it, it was, just because we were asking people sooner as opposed to um, as opposed to waiting until later on in those conversations. And honestly, um, people were saying yes, I think just to get us to leave sometimes because none of those people, unfortunately, got baptized. Um, the most serious of those were um, David Petrie and uh, his his. Uh, not his spouse at the time, they weren't married, but they had been partners for quite a long time His his partner, Barbara. And, uh, they, they were just amazing people. They were getting really interested in the church and getting involved and making friends and finding that they were very, very, um, they were just loving the, the joy that was being found as they were coming into the gospel as a family. 
And I think I mentioned this in my last podcast about how Bishop Farker in the Montrose ward, bless him, asked me to have the conversation with them about how they should get married because they are living in sin. And I couldn't hide that, that, uh, thought in my head. Um, as I was going into their home that night to have that conversation, like I, I did not, I did not have a good poker face at all. Like I was so overly serious and way too focused on the message at hand and how it would be to be received that I just, I mean, immediately Barbara, who she was one of my, one of my very good friends on the mission. She immediately just said, what's wrong. And I just had to like share it. And man, things went south really, really quick, unfortunately with that. But, um, I know that the missionaries after I was there, I believe elder Jansen came in after me with elder King and, uh, they continued to visit with them. And eventually they did get married, um, in the chapel in Montrose. And I was fortunate enough to attend the the wedding reception. I came down from Aberdeen with, uh, with Peacock at the time. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, no, I love the ward in Montrose, wonderful people there. Um, I don't know that I can name all the people that I had great relationships with, but, uh, the Crawfords that live in, in our broth were amazing. Neil and his parents. Um, and then I, I think I mentioned the, I mentioned them before, but, uh, Robert, uh, Stronach and his wife, um, Bar- Barbara, no, my gosh, it can't believe I just forgot her name. Anyway, they were just wonderful people, took great care of us. I'll never forget. I mean, we were two days into the ward or into the area when Christmas happened. And we literally spent the the entirety of the day apart from the time when we called home um, at their house, like as strangers. And it was just, it was a little bit, a little bit uh, odd, but you know, they readily uh, welcomed us into their home and we enjoyed some great meals there and great conversations and just wonderful people. Um, and then, uh, you know, the Farkers who I mentioned the Bishop and his wife, and then their kids, um, Leah and Callum, uh, were, were great. And then the Hendersons, Martin and Sharon and, uh, their sons. Um, I just, I loved that ward. It was such a wonderful place to be. And, you know, it was, it was definitely a tough place because you kind of had two pretty large areas of, of population that were separated by, uh, you know, 20 minute drive. And so teaching people in our growth was challenging because if they didn't have transportation to get to church, you know, we didn't have transport or buses or a train that could take them to church on Sunday. And so it definitely was a bit challenging, but you know, yeah. just great people um, and a great ward altogether, and uh, definitely one of my other places I call home. Um, and then uh, after that, I went to Hamilton and really had a lot of fun. Um, my companion at the time was was John Powell, and he was younger in the mission. I didn't know of him until I was his companion, and. Uh, we, we just had a lot of fun. I mean, again, great ward, great youth, and uh, 
great district. I mean, we had a lot of fun with the missionaries in our ward or in our district at that point in time. And, um, I was called to be the district leader, which was a little bit intimidating at that point in time. That was actually the first transfer, the first moves um, that the Fredericks were in the mission. And so, um, you know, being a district leader, I was a little bit intimidated at that, um, having to be the example, but also show my personality was, was still something that I hadn't quite figured out. And, uh, but we just had a lot of fun with, with the missionaries. We had great activities. We got together often, um, being so close, like I didn't spend a ton of time in Glasgow or Paisley in the mission. So in those short stints, I realized why so many missionaries spent so much time with each other because everyone was just so close together. Um, but yeah, we, we had a, a great time, a lot of fun, um, while we were there. Um, one person I've mentioned before, and definitely I will mention many times moving forward was Winifred Terrett, uh, the, the, the wonderful, wonderful woman who, when we lived there, um, lived just a few doors down from our flat, had us over for Sunday dinners. And she had a, a really cool, um, setup where she asked that each of us as companions, each cooked a meal, um, one week and then the other, and then she would cook the third week. And so it was cool because I got to bring, I think I made Hawaiian haystacks, which I, again, I, I think I asked my mom for the recipe and she's like, this is what you need. And this is how you do it. And it's pretty that simple. One translates a little better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, just cups of rice is a little bit easier than cups of flour, but, uh, no, uh, we just had a lot of fun. And at that point in time, I was, you know, pretty well into my mission and I had done quite a bit of studying of the Bible and Winifred enjoyed having us there because she, she liked talking with me about things in the Bible and things that I was familiar with. And she taught me some things too, that I wasn't aware of, or I had skipped over and, but we just had great conversations and, uh, it was a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, one of the things that I still to this day loved about that area. So just north of Hamilton is a, a small town or village called Uddings, Uddington. I think it's I think that's how I, how you say it, Uddington or Uddingston. And um, Uddingston is the location where my favorite Scottish treats are made. Um, and uniquely enough, when I when I had my uh, surgery, I had a couple of British missionaries that sent them over to me. And uh, I'm trying to remember what the heck they're called. Um, yeah, Udding, Uddingston was just up the road from Hamilton. Um, but uh, the the bars that were there, um, it's like a wafer bar candy. And uh, the the thing that I loved about it is we'd go into Uddingston and we'd chap doors or we'd walk around and visit members there. And if you've had this candy, you walk around that town and the whole town smells like these, these wafer honey chocolate bars. And Oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I can't remember what they're called right this second because they're just, they're one of my favorites um, from my mission. So, but, uh, they, like, uh, caramel thing. 
Yeah, they have car caramel in them. Tonics, caramel wafer biscuit, something like that. Yes, that's it. Power of is Google. Tonic or Tunics uh, caramel wafers, I think is what they're called. Yes. Oh my gosh. Highly, highly recommended for anyone who's looking for a good British treat. Um, they're just, they're so perfectly weighted with the chocolate and the caramel and the, the wafer. So that's my yeah, favorite. Some, some people have asked us for merch. Maybe we need to do a candy store instead. Would you? <laughs> oh man. I can only imagine the, the cost on stuff like that. Um, anyway, and then, uh, so in Hamilton, um, Elder Aurelio was in our district and he was over in Motherwell with uh, Ren Hardy and Elder Aurelio's visa came to an end a few weeks prior to the transfer being over. And so Ren Hardy came over and was in our, was in a trio with us and man, his stories about, I had no idea that that was going on between him and John about the, the temperature of the refrigerator. My gosh, <laughs> that was one of my favorite stories, but, uh, no, we, we got on really well and had a lot of fun. I'm sure John probably felt a little bit, you know, on the outside looking in because Ren and I have pretty similar, um, personality types and we just, we, we, uh, got along really well. So hopefully John didn't feel too on the outside of our, of our, our trio that we were in for a little bit. Um, and then after that, I, uh, I got transferred up to Aberdeen and my first companion in Aberdeen was Stuart Pattenden and, uh, Stuart, man, he just, he makes me laugh that, that guy, so I, it was unique because at that point in time in Aberdeen, I was um, one of, let's see, was there three other, three English missionaries besides myself at that point in time? Yeah, there were. So it was um, Stuart and I, Chris Harlow and Christian Lucas. And because I was the odd man out, I don't know, Stuart hated it, but I, I used to use all of the the British swear words that were appropriate to Americans that absolutely ticked him off to the point where he would, he would tell me off quite a few times and we're driving down the road and I'd just say whatever I wanted. And he's like, you're not bringing the spirit. And I'm like, I'm just having fun, <laughs> you know, just kind of taking the Mick a little bit, which was pretty funny. Oh man. But uh, no, we had, we had some pretty unique experiences there. We've gone over at length, the unique, the unique visit to Sister Hutton's house in the Bridget Dawn Ward, who had way too many things for the size of her flat. Um, I'm just grateful that I s survived that experience, because um, I'm sure it could have been pretty bad. But uh, no, we we uh, it was a, a little interesting too at that point in my mission because I lived on lived in that flat on Charlotte Street which was the first flat that I went to on my mission. If you remember, like yeah. we, that was the the flat that we hung out because you had the cobblestone road out front where you had like that strip of cobblestone. You always had to drive over to get to the flat. I can and, still hear it in my oh, mind yeah. when you say that. Yeah. I mean, you just, you hit that strip and it just, yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, we, we enjoyed that, that flat. I mean, there was always something going on on that street. Cause you kind of had that straight shot 
straight into into Aberdeen um, as far as walking into town. But um, I remember one time we were driving back to the flat after an activity at church. And uh, just out of nowhere, this guy jumps in front of our car. And I, I was driving, so I slammed on the brakes. And everybody in the car was kind of freaking out because this guy is beating his fists on, on the bonnet of the car. And I, it took every ounce of my mental capacity to keep holding onto the wheel to not get out. And I told, I told the other patent at that point in time, I said, I don't think he realizes how much larger I am than this scrawny little guy who's beaten on our car. And Stuart was like, do not get out. Whatever you do, do not get out. And I truly had to restrain myself because there was a level of rage that went through me. Like I could throw this guy across the street if I wanted to. Um, I'm grateful that Elder Patton was there to speak some sense into me as opposed to immediately jumping to reaction because he probably saved me from a beating. Um, but uh, we had a lot of fun in that in that uh, stake. I think it, this was the period of the mission where um, the stake, it may have just been the Aberdeen Ward, but we were involved with uh, a ward activity where each of the auxiliaries were asked to make a a short film that could be shown. And then we had a film festival where everybody showed up in like full full red carpet attire like president Payne showed up i saw a picture of it recently he was in his his to the nines his kilt like looking really wow. sharp and and uh That's president cool. president reedy and his wife I, I i remember sister reedy came with like a big fur over her shoulders and he was in like a you know his tuxedo with his bow tie like everybody dressed up as if it was like oscar night and it was a lot of fun even though we all felt fairly underdressed as missionaries because <laughs> we dressed like that all day and we don't have any alternatives where we can just put on our yeah. fancy attire. So I'm pretty sure we showed up to the event and we all had some variation of our sunglasses. So we were just, we were all walking in in our suits kind of looking like, you know, the, 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 the popular people who would, came in and wouldn't take their sunglasses off when you're inside type of thing. <laughs> like it was just, just being ridiculous, but, uh, no, that was a lot of fun. And we, I mean, for anyone who is curious about it, the, the film that the elders quorum did, which involved myself, elder Pattenden, elder Harlow and elder Lucas. Um, the video that we did is called Johnny lingo. And uh, it's on our YouTube channel, so definitely go back and watch it. It may not Check be as out. funny. It may not be as funny to you as it is for us that participated. But my gosh, it was it was just like very low budget, very simple, and uh, oh my gosh, so many fun fun times. Um, Sean Goldie was our board mission leader. Um, Scott Goldie was the elders corn president at the time. Jeremy Lamro was part of our group and uh, Jeremy, he, he actually starred as Moana, Moana, Mo Mahana 
<laughs> Gosh, I always I always say that. Thank you, Disney. Stole the great uh, church church name, Mahana. And uh, oh my gosh! Anyway, go watch it. It's fun. Uh, my role in that in that video is I was the Relief Society president in a scene, and so anytime I would visit the Relief Society after that event to share the meal calendar or to talk about events, the true uh, Relief Society president, whose name has escaped me, but she would also she would always welcome me as the other Relief Society president. <laughs> but uh, no, Great. we just, we had lots of fun. I mentioned in my last podcast, and I know I forgot Christian's name because I was going straight off of just raw memory that we broke into their flat and scared the life out of Chris Harlow. And man, that was a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, and at that point in time in my mission, I really found you know, the joy of, of serving a mission, you know, the last six months of your mission, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, I've been through this. I've done this. I'm in the groove and, you know, I could talk to anybody and say anything. Um, I didn't share this, but at a, when I was, I think I was with Elder King at that time in my mission in, uh, in our growth, I remember knocking on a door and I did a door approach. And I used the best of my Scottish accent. Um, and it wasn't anything amazing, but uh, the guy at the door said to me, what part of Scotland are you from? And I said, yes, <laughs> because it was just, it was just rolling off my tongue as if I was a native and it was, it was amazing. But you know, at that point in my mission, the last six months, I, I remember pretty specifically, there was a, an instance where president sister Vreens came to dinner at president Payne's house and we were invited to participate as well. And, uh, I remember after the meal, everyone was kind of congregating, um, in the living room and having conversations. And I went out into their backyard cause it was a more traditional house, um, in this, uh, outskirts of, of Aberdeen that they lived and uh, they had a, because it was late summertime, they had a volleyball net that was set up in the grass. And uh, so I was out playing with um, some of their their younger kids and um, and I just didn't care about the time. I was just enjoying myself. And uh, I remember at that moment in time, I, I had to go, I was supposed to be going. And Sister Payne came outside and she goes, Elder Hewlett it's time for you to go. And I immediately just, just about faced and like ran into the house. And she thought it was one of the funniest things ever because I, it was just kind of me being me, you know, a little quirky. Um, I just immediately dropped what I was doing and did exactly what she asked. And, uh, you know, Jeannie Payne and I became really good friends, um, throughout my time in Aberdeen. So, um, yeah. And, you know, beyond that, we, at that point in time, we decided that it was time to move the missionaries from that high flat over into the Charlotte Street apartment, which interestingly enough was in their area. <laughs> and yet we we made them travel and we, you know, didn't have to go very far for our area. But uh, 
So Elder Peacock came in as my last companion. And one of our first tasks was to find a new flat. And I'm glad that Elder Peacock was there because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was truly just tagging along. Clearly it was something that he had done before. Um, or he just, you know, he's kind of that take charge type of person and knew what our, our task was and we went and did it. But uh, we found a nice flat that was actually on the downward hill. If you remember, the Aberdeen Stake Center was up at the top of the hill and you'd kind of have to go down the hill where the bus route was um, to get down to the Charlotte Street flat. So it was on the way. So we'd go to Charlotte Street and come back up. But if there were instances where we didn't have to drop the other missionaries off at our flat, one of our favorite things that we try to do is we'd come out of the, the stake center. Cause if you remember the, the car park was on the backside, you'd come back around and you turn left down the road and you try to get as much momentum. And then you just clutch it all the way to the flat. And we had a, we had a one car garage in our flat. And one of our favorite activities was trying to clutch ride this car all the way down the hill into the little car park and then into into the garage without using the gas before you turned it off and uh peacock brought that up no i think uh, john o'brien brought that up because he, he must have kept, kept that going uh, after i had left but no we had we had a great deal of fun in that in that time frame as well um we celebrated um halloween and in, in that transfer, that was when um, Alberto Marcone was trained by Chris Harlow. And that was a really unique experience having this young missionary who barely spoke English, but man, he just tried so hard. And uh, we did a lot of fun activities. Like we bought pumpkins and carved pumpkins in our flat and, you know, just all the little things that we used to do. Um, and that was, again, uh, another period of our mission where there was another fun stake activity this time where they invited everyone from the stake to participate in a, like a Disney song, Disney music extravaganza night. And if you want, you can watch the entire Disney, <laughs> Disney extravaganza on our YouTube channel. Or if you want to watch the skits from the missionaries, those are separate on our YouTube channel as well. But, uh, in our conversations with, uh, I think Michael Chambers was the one who told us that the original song for the missionaries to sing was, I think, something from Jungle Book. And we said, this song is, is total rubbish. Let's pick a new one. And we, pissed, we picked Kiss the Girl from Little Mermaid, which the irony of, of that for us, no kissing missionaries was, uh, man, that was pretty funny. But you know, I was, I played Sebastian, the largest crab you'll ever see. And, uh, Quinn Coford was Ariel. Chris Harlow was Prince Eric. Keenan Price was a gondolier. And the rest of the missionaries were background dancers that, uh, man, we just made it so much fun. So definitely go watch it. You'll get a kick out of it. Uh, if you know any of those missionaries, um, Jason Howard and Dallin Ray were from Elgin at that point in time. And uh, Ryan Gustafson and his companion in Richard Don. Trying to remember who it is. Oh, it was Chambers. Um, and then us missionaries from Aberdeen and the Peterhead elders. 
uh, yeah. And, you know, towards the end of my mission, I just kind of just enjoyed every moment that I could. Um, honestly, the pace probably slowed down a little bit more, but I spent a lot more time interacting with the members, um, being, being present with them and giving the opportunities to, to teach them, to ask them how they could become better member missionaries. Um, cause it was kind of that ramp up period of the mission. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, we were just looking at all the different things that we could do as zone leaders. So we spent a ton of time up in Inverness to make sure that the missionaries were alive and well in that area and up in Elgin. Um, I forgot to mention that, uh, Stuart Patton and I justified a trip to the Isle of Lewis to visit Stornoway because president Frederick said, you must go on exchanges with all trainers and their companions. We just so happened to have McKay Lynch and Brett McCullers up in the Isle of Lewis. Nice. And so, uh, we made that drive on that windy road on a bus to Olapool and hopped on that ferry. And I'll never forget. This was one of my favorite moments with McKay Lynch and I'd really like to get in touch with him. So I hope he returns my messages and, and phone calls. But, uh, we were on exchanges and, uh, Stuart went with Brett and I went with McKay and we, we knocked, we were knocking doors and he's like, it's just so hard. I'm having a hard time getting in front of people. We knocked on one door. I did a door approach and the people let us in. And afterwards, McKay Lynch looked at me and he said, how in the world did you do that? And I said, honestly, it was just talking to the right person, you know, we got really, really fortunate. We sat down. We talked a little bit more about um, the message that we were sharing. We left a copy of the Book of Mormon, and they made a return appointment. But it wasn't like anything too over the top. It was just an opportunity to say to to McKay, hey, it is possible to get indoors here. It's just a matter of finding the right people that are ready to to embrace you. And I was pretty bold at that point in time. Like, I wasn't about to mince too many words. I said, we'd love to come in and share a message with you. And the person just said, okay, come on in. And McKay's face, I swear, I, it's ingrained in my face it, or in my mind because it was just like utter shock. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Greenies need those moments for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. But uh, yeah, we spent a lot of time up in Inverness and uh, it was great to be there. Obviously, um, Peacock loved being there just because it was kind of his home to him. And, uh, you know, I remember going into the, the building there on the River Ness. It was just the most beautiful setting and, uh, you know, driving on the coast of, uh, of Loch Ness. And we drove by Urquhart Castle that's there on the kind of the midway point of the of the lock and just an amazing, amazing place. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that kind of wraps my mission up again. And, you know, I've shared a few new memories and some fun things. And I think the thing that, uh, I recollect on a lot is, you know, saying goodbye to the mission. Um, it was really hard. You know, I, Honestly, my time that I served with Elder Peacock was easily th three months uh, of the best times of my my life to that point. And so, being being uh, f not necessarily forcibly removed, but like you 
you, your time is up. It's, it's time yeah, to, there's no easing out of it. It's just, n- no, it close is the door. It is intense shock. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, as I was going through my stuff, um, before we got on here, I found my release paperwork and my like flight schedule coming home. And I was kind of recollecting back to that moment because I was unique in the fact that I could have been like, um, I think it was elder Kuhn who said he only was out for one, one, uh, Christmas. Mm-hmm. And my parents wanted me to do the same thing because, you know, I was coming home essentially uh, what a week, a week and a half yeah. after Christmas was over. And my parents were like, do you want to come home earlier? And I said, absolutely not. I, I do not. I, I would honestly feel like I wasn't in the place I was supposed to be. And I'm glad that I did because, you know, I, I got to know further some of my favorite people in Scotland in that time period. Um, I mean, <laughs> we went to Anne and, and Doug Sims house for a new year's Eve party. And we were easily there till one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> like four days before I came home from my mission. But, uh, I mean, we just, we had great things going with the members there. Um, and as we've talked about before, there was an experience prior to Stuart going to Aberdeen that the missionaries pretty quickly lost all sense of trust from the missionary or from the members that were there. And honestly, I felt like my time in Aberdeen was an opportunity to bring that trust back to the missionaries. And you, you heard it from, from Peacock in his episode, you know, they saw a great deal of success after I went home. I just had to lay the groundwork of helping members remember that not all of us are, are going to make similar mistakes. And obviously the goal when those things get around the mission is to learn from the mistakes and not repeat them. Um, but you know, we just, I don't know. That was one of the biggest things that president Frederick told me when I went into that, that call is he said, the members there need to learn to love the missionaries again. And I think that you are the person that will help that happen. And so I focused on that. I spent a lot of time in members homes. Um, I, I know I probably mentioned it on my last episode. I didn't get that far in my episode as I was re-listening recently, but uh, one of my favorite things that I used to do every Saturday was we'd go to sister Mitchell's house and sister Mitchell, this dear old woman lived by herself. All she wanted was some company and to share a meal with the missionaries. And, um, man, we just absolutely loved going over there pretty sure we watched a lot of deal or no deal on the television because that was usually on while we ate our food and then she'd always send us away after we ate either fish and chips um shepherd's pie or missionary pie which i've described on our podcast before um she would always send us away with a a bread bag filled with like mcvitie's biscuits and then she'd give us like tomatoes like cherry tomatoes and little slices of cheese and (laughs) i used to go to town on those things all the time i would get get home from uh you know a fast sunday meeting or something and i'd just be like i just need something to eat quick and i'd 
I'd eat way too many pieces of cheese and tomatoes and finish it off with some biscuits. But Sister Mitchell was one of my favorite people. And I was able to visit with her after um, the mission when I came back that summer in 2007. And one of the things that she said she'd always wanted on her wall in her flat was a picture of the Salt Lake Temple, which I brought to her. And she wrote me wonderful letters for a few years. And I don't know, obviously, I would guess that she's passed away in the last 20 years, unless she's still feeding the missionaries. I don't know. But, uh, you know, just those moments of spending time in people's homes, um, whether it was our area or not, like we used to to spend time out at the Christie's home. Uh, we spent a lot of time at the Wabies home. Um, I mean, just so many fun memories. Um, and I really appreciate the fact that we've talked to everyone that has served in that time frame of my mission, except for Stuart Patton. And I hope that Stuart will come on the podcast eventually and talk about his experience with me, despite the fact that I probably bugged him a little bit more than I should have. But uh, I don't know, just like you said, that, that shock of coming home, it was, it was not easy, you know, cause you're kind of like, thrown from the celestial sphere down to the the horrible right. horrible word world pretty quickly yeah. and uh i don't know it was it was pretty surreal to be back and you know cuz 2 years is is a lifetime for some people as far as like periods of time that you've lived like I look back on my life living in LA for two years, living in Oregon for two years, you know, living in Logan for two years, <laughs> like all of those seasons of my life, I think back and I'm like, there was a reason that I was in those places. I learned something and, you know, it was kind of mini missions of sorts too, because I was surrounded more often than not with um, people who were not of the same faith as me, but, uh, I don't know. That's just kind of my mission to, to wrap it up. I know I talked a lot longer than, than the last time, but, uh, I just, I want to express my true love for all of the amazing men that I was able to spend time with and the sisters that I spent time with. I mean, I, I don't know. I, they, each each one of them, and I'm glancing over to the side here because I have my my preach my gospel with everybody's picture on it. Everybody made an impact on my life, my mission experience, and you know who I am today. Like, oftentimes I think think on how each specific individual had an impact on me and helped me to become who I am. So. Um, each of you that are listening, I would love to hear from Dustin Marsh. I would love to have George Willis come on the podcast. Stubborn goat. Um, love to have Brent Littlefield come on the podcast. Love more than anything to have Ross Ballack come on the podcast and share his experience. Um, as I mentioned, Stuart Pattenden, and I'd love to have John Powell come on the podcast. All the rest of them have come on and it's been great to 
reminisce with them and talk about those common moments that we shared together. But, uh, you know, there's still more to be, to be had. And, um, I don't know, there's just so many amazing things still to come with this podcast. I, I can't express how grateful I am truly for how this last year has really changed my outlook on, you know, the gospel in my life, yeah. you know, at, at one point it was a little bit less prominent and less important. And I don't know, I just, I have a hard time stepping back now and looking at things and saying, I, I can't really deny these things because they've had a huge impact on who I am. Um, again, that's not a slight to anyone who has done anything, you know, decided to go a different direction in life. The one thing that we've all learned in the last 20 odd years for all of us is that life happens and things take place and experiences happen that shape who we are. The mission was one of those moments in my life. And I'm grateful that we have this platform that has been created so that we can truly go back and reminisce and man it's just so much fun to hear the memories that each individual has of each of us i'm so so looking forward to future guests that are on our our radar as well as on our future schedule so um anyway i i again i'm just i'm grateful to be a scotland edinburgh missionary and uh to have served with the amazing people that I did. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. I love you. I love you too, Jack. Thanks for being my partner in crime with regards to yeah. this, man. It's just, yeah. I, I was re recollecting with, uh, with Brian bear on his part two episode and man, there's just so much good that's still out there. Like as we reach out to people, it's amazing to hear who's listening and yeah. and how they heard about it. And um, I'm going to just recollect on a conversation I had the other night. So I, I got in touch with Paul Christensen <laughs> and uh, Paul got my text and I've, I've started to frame it where I say, is this the famous so, so, so of Scotland, the Scotland Edinburgh mission fame and Paul didn't respond. Like most people like, ha ha ha. Who is this? Paul was, Paul immediately said, is this the famous Zach Hewlett? <laughs> and he just, he complimented us big time. I, I'm just, I'm grateful that he's listening, but I want to read what he said. He said, uh, and I saved it. Where is it? Uh, da, da. Oh, that's horrible. Where did it go? I'm not reading. While you're finding it, I was just going to say, you talk about how it's changed your outlook. It's changed our look back, too. Yeah. Like for I think for a lot of years, there's some scarring from the mission, good or bad, yeah. that we all carry, too, because no mission is easy. Whether you serve in south america scotland wherever that's it's hard for different reasons and yeah. uh we've we've heard some of that too and i just i think hearing it from other people being able to speak it 
out has has changed me as well. No, I agree. Now, what Paul said is he said, I hear you've been running a massively successful podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Paul. Paul's going to come on uh, towards the end of June. So we'll get that date solidified. I'm so excited. Great. But uh, yeah, I mean, more than anything, I just, this all sprouted from a tiny idea. And we are on the, the f- at this point, when this is published, we will be, sur- we will sur- have surpassed 100 episodes. And I mean, mind all, blown. All of those conversations have been epic. I mean, there's there's not a single one that hasn't pricked our hearts in some way or made us laugh until we were, you know, yeah. we're getting stitches in our sides. You know, it just there's just so much good that's happened amongst all the things that we've learned um, from the mission and. I'm looking forward to the next hundred and the hundred after that, because man, there's just, there's so many more amazing people that we're looking forward to connecting with. So if you are on the fence, as you're listening to this, please know that there is room for you. We, we have time. We have openings in our schedule. We want to hear from you. So those of you that have reached out already, please know that we're grateful for that and we're excited to those for those conversations coming up but uh the beat continues yep the beat of the highland drum thanks zach all right jack i love you brother have a good one all right cheerio bye